Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> Reading to the end of the chapter. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And to the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. And you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to the which of the angels did he ever, has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. I want you to remember that last verse. Are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Who is that? That's you. And I want to go back to verse three, 4, which I did not read, which was in Kevin's message last week, speaking of the, of the Lord Jesus. He says, having become as much better than angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. A more excellent name. What is his name? Jesus. Means God's salvation. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. An excellent name, amen? No other name on earth has been ordained for the salvation of mankind. And so, I just want to begin with a real simple definition of angel. The Greek word is agalos. It's from uh, a word that means to bring tidings, a messenger, or as an errand boy. It's used in, the, in Greek literature, extra-biblical literature, to refer to errand boys and messengers of kings, military commanders, and cultures set out to deliver a message to someone. Just a human being as a messenger. It's used in, in, the, in, in Scripture pertaining to the church. Many believe in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where it speaks of the angels of the church and Thyatira and Ephesus and so forth. Speaking of pastors or the messengers, the pastor teachers of the church being messengers of God. And then it clearly refers to a being a unique being that is used by God to bear messages and to minister to those who are to inherit salvation. These angelic beings. 
their name describes their function. Just as Jesus' name describes his function, angel describes the function of angels. They are messengers. They are the errand boys of heaven who have been used to do God's bidding and to bring messages on various occasions, as you know, to God's people. Here in Hebrews 1, 5 through 14, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews brings three contrasts between Jesus Christ and angels. Why is that? It's because some were turning aside to worship angels or messengers rather than the Lord Jesus Christ who is the message. And so the three contrasts between Jesus and angels begins in verses 5 through 9 where the writer of Hebrews conveys that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The second contrast is in verses 10 to 12 where the writer of Hebrews from Scripture demonstrates that Jesus Christ is a creator of all things. And then in verses 13 and 14, he demonstrates that Jesus Christ is Lord. None of those things can be said of an angel. All of those things are attributes and qualities of Jesus Christ, uniquely of him. And so... <clears throat> The premise that the writer of Hebrews develops here, my personal opinion, and I'm not, uh, is that the Apostle Paul wrote this book incognito. Now, I'm not the head of the Paul authorship of Hebrews Club. It, it really doesn't matter, but I believe that it's very possible that he wrote it incognito to the Hebrews because if he had said this is the Apostle Paul, no Jew would read it. And so... He is, and the great knowledge of scripture here of the writer of Hebrews, somebody has had access to the manuscripts of scripture. People then did not have the privilege that you have sitting here with a Bible in your lap. They had to go to the synagogue to hear the word, the Old Testament scriptures. But the premise of the author of Hebrews is not from doctrines of men or the doctrine of the church. The letter does not begin from an apostle of Jesus Christ ordained to be a minister to the church of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't begin that way. And it begins simply presenting the case as to who Jesus is from the Old Testament scriptures. That's a fascinating thing. Jesus is demonstrated to be the Son of God the creator of all things and Lord of lords from Old Testament scriptures. And so he does this. And so beginning with the first premise in verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, to, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? How many angels did he say that to? Zip. None. But he says that to the Lord Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 2, which I'm going to read the entirety of at the end of the message this evening. He says, Today I have begotten you. And 
it means that Jesus Christ is very God. He is not created. Now, I built my house, but my house is not me. I have built a couple of my cars, but those cars are not me. And in July, you'll meet my son, Jeremy, and you will meet me. <laughs> and it means begotten. Jesus is God. He is not a created being. And many, um, many of the cults get tangled up in the triunity of God. They say, you Christians worship three gods. It's because they misunderstand oneness. One does not mean single. It means perfect unity. The very first verse in the Bible is what? In the beginning, God, the word is Elohim, plural. And so the unity of the Godhead as one functioning in, in perfect unity, and people say, well, you're just making that up. Well, when a man and woman get married, they become how many fleshes? One. Does that mean four eyes look through two sockets? No, not at all. We become one in marriage. And so, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then in 2 Samuel, he says, <clears throat> I will be a father to him. And this is speaking to David when David was going to build a temple for God. And God says, no, I did not. Who told you to build a temple for me? Do I need a house? God says to David, I'm going to build you a house. And one of your sons is going to sit on my throne forever. And God speaks to David concerning this son. He says, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And so the son of David is the son of God. In Matthew 22:45, and also in Mark and Luke, <clears throat> there's, Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees who are trying to figure out heaven because they don't believe in it. And they're trying to develop an argumentum absurdum. They're trying to uh, make heaven sound absurd about a, a guy who got married and he died and he had six brothers and they all married her and they all died. And when they go to heaven, whose who's husband is she going to have? And Jesus said, is arguing with them and he says, concerning David, he says, if David calls him Lord, in other words, his son here, Lord, then who is he? How can the Messiah be the son of David and David's Lord? You see. And so Jesus is the son of God, the son of David. He goes on in verse 6, and he says, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says... Let all the angels of God worship him. All the angels of God worship him. Can you think of any examples of that in scripture? How about the Christmas story when the, angels appear, the angel appeared to the shepherds by night and declared the birth of Jesus and with him were the heavenly hosts glorifying God and worshiping Christ. It's the function of angels to worship Jesus. You do not worship your equal. And, and so the shepherds encounter 
And I want to very quickly here deal with some clarifications. And I know I'm going to be brief. And this may be confusing to you, but I only have a few minutes. Clarifications concerning God, angels, and men. And we know that there are those groups that teach that you kind of skip from one classification to another. In other words, an angel can become God and men can become God and men can become angels and so forth. And it's all from the misunderstanding of Scripture. And we need to rightly divide the word of truth and understand what's being said. In Psalm 82, 6, the word says, you are all gods concerning men in political power and rulers who are accountable to God and will be judged by God. But it calls, for example, a president of the United States or people in judges in the earth as gods, small g. And as you read that psalm, which I'm not going to do now, it goes on to point out that these judges of the earth are accountable to God and they'd better be careful how they exercise their office because they are all going to answer to God. And they will be either commended or condemned by God. Now I ask you, does that teach that men are gods? As Jesus is God? Certainly not. In fact, it tells us that people in, who are in ruling authority need to be really careful. They are not autonomous. They cannot do what they want. They are accountable to God and they'd better rule his way. Secondly, angels are referred to as sons of God. Many consider in Genesis 6-2 where the sons of God were having relations with the sons of men and there were giants on the earth and everything and it's the predecessor of the judgment of God that these are angels. And Job 1.6 is clearly angels are referred to as sons of God. <clears throat> Does this mean that angels are sons of God as Jesus is the son of God? <clears throat> Not at all. It's simply referring to them as heavenly beings, beings that are in the presence of God and are sent forth to do his bidding. And then in John 20, and just real briefly, <clears throat> Jesus uses a simile of men being like angels. And this, I was incorrect at the first time. This is where he is arguing with the Sadducees. And he said, men are like angels in heaven, neither marrying or giving in marriage. And many contend that this, misreading this, that people become angels when they go to heaven you know you hear people say oh my wings are budding if your wings are budding you better see an orthopedist <clears throat> and many times people say of little children who have died an untimely death that they're angels in heaven it's not true they're much better than that the bible says that we for a little while are lower than the angels and so we understand that god angels and men all have their respective places and there is no sliding back and forth between the categories where men become gods or angels become gods or men become angels. They are what they are and they remain that. 
And so Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. And comparing Jesus to angels is not apples and oranges, it's apples and dirt. Totally different categories. Incomparable. And so the writer of Hebrews makes the contrast. As we read on into verse 7, he says, Of the angels, he said, who makes his angels winds of fire and his ministers flames of fire. And this was fascinating as I looked at it. And if you wish, turn back to uh, Psalm 104. And look at how the psalmist phrases this. <clears throat> and how the writer of Hebrews interprets it. Psalm 104, 4. <clears throat> the psalmist writes, He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. That's interesting. He makes the winds his messengers, and flaming fire, his ministers. The writer of Hebrews kind of turns that around and he says of the angels, he said, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. What are winds and fire? It's the way the forces that helped form this earth and brought things into being. And they're agents of God ministering to men and bringing a message to men. And, you know, as we sit here this evening, we have to ask the question, what is God saying to our nation as we look at the recent history of just this nation, the East Coast being destroyed by a hurricane and now the tornadoes devastating Oklahoma, Texas and coming up through the heart of the country. What is God saying? What is the message? And... Perhaps we need to intensify our prayer for this nation and listen to what God is saying. And so angels are messengers of God that he uses in ways to convey what we need to hear. What is the message? And then in verse 8, <clears throat> The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 45 and he points out the deity of the Son of God. <clears throat> he says in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And so, he is saying that <clears throat> Jesus Christ is deity. He is God. He is the anointed one of God there in Psalm 45, verse 7, which is quoted. And so what is the point of all of this? What is the writer of Hebrews expressing from Old Testament scriptures? Very simple. You must not worship angels. 
And the angel speaking to the apostle John in the book of Revelation and who would not be just overwhelmed with awe to experience what John experienced there, taken up in the Isle of Patmos into heaven and he is seeing the future unfolded before him and the clear revelation of God to him that is to be passed down to us and an angel is escorting him around heaven and he's being asked questions by the elders and so forth. And he comes to, in Revelation chapter 22, it's just too much for him, which I think any of us would experience. And he goes through meltdown and he just falls down before the angel and begins to worship him. And what's the angel say? Good choice, dude. No, he said, you must not do that. For I am just a messenger. And he says this, two words, worship God. And when we worship Jesus Christ, we are worshiping God. We are worshiping God. Today, um, in the church, there is messenger worship. You say, what? I don't know of anybody who are worshiping angels. There are those who worship pastors. There are those who worship televangelists. There are those who worship political leaders. They're looking for some man to emulate, much as Israel was looking for a king to be spiritual for them, and they anointed Saul and said, let him serve God, we'll do our own thing and kind of pass the buck off on to someone else. In Sunday's message, Pastor Kevin was pointing out Elimus, and he was called Bar-Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means son of Jesus. Bar means son of and Jesus. And, and I, it doesn't really say there, but I kind of suspect that that's a name that Elimus gave to himself. Oh, I'm spiritual. I'm Bar-Jesus, the son of Jesus. I'm spiritual. And he had Sergiopolis kind of, you know, worshiping him. And when Paul and Silas came along, it upset a good thing for him because he was being financially supported by Sergiopolis and he was being worshiped and, and he had a real happy situation. And of course, Paul looked at him, and he couldn't speak anymore. They say of some people, you can always tell they're lying because they're talking. And Elimus had to be quiet in order for Sergiopolis to come to the truth. And there are those today who make claims and expect worship and esteem as a god. On the other side of that whole thing, there are people who expect a pastor to be worshipable. worshipable. Say that three times real fast. Well, our pastor is just kind of a common, ordinary man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Paul said. He said he was a poor speaker. And he wasn't anything to be uh, oohed and awed at. Just a human being who is faithful to Jesus Christ, you cannot ask for anything more. And if a human being claims to be more than a human being, 
then they're lying to you and they're lying to God. And we are just human beings who love and serve Jesus Christ, who have been gifted by him to carry out a ministry to the church. Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach. It's a mandate that has to be carried out by a simple human being who is called by God to be faithful. And we must not worship messengers. Jesus Christ is not a messenger. He is the message. He is the message. And we need to faithfully convey the message of Jesus Christ. Now, last two categories are going to be shorter. Secondly, the writer of Hebrews from Old Testament Scripture points out that Jesus is creator. Verses 10 and 12. He says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. <clears throat> I don't know about some of you guys. I hate to throw clothes away. Seems like when they're worn out, they're there at their best. <laughs> but the Lord says that the scripture says concerning Jesus Christ, he is eternal and everything else is just clothing that is going to wear out some time and be changed. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator and he is the one to whom all of creation will return. And, and so here in Psalm 102, 25 through 27 he speaks of this. As creator, Jesus Christ is eternal. Creation is temporal. Angels are what? Eternal? They're created. Now, our scripture does not give us the account of that. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Bible doesn't tell us everything. There are a lot of things we don't understand. It gives no account of the creation of the angels. But they are created beings for the purpose of, to which God has ordained them. But Jesus Christ is eternal God. John writes that nothing that has been made has, been, has come into being except through him. In John 1, 1 through 3, he is the creator. He is the word, and all things that were created were through the word spoken into being. He didn't get a Gilbert chemistry set for Christmas and sit down and make the world. You're too young to know what that is. <laughs> Some of you know. But he spoke it into being. How? Because he's God. He is God. Theologians call it fiat fulfillment. What that means is not a French car. What that means is that God has the power to speak and it becomes. And Jesus Christ is God and through him and through the word, everything came into being simply at his bidding. A fascinating thing here in verse 12. He says, like a mantle, you will roll them up. And like a garment, they will be changed. 
fascinating thing. I just want to introduce this. I don't have time to develop it all. But that word means to be transformed. And what we're looking at in this world is just not even a good preview of what's going to be. And the Bible has great difficulty describing to us what heaven's going to be like, kind of like the pavement is like translucent gold. Have you ever seen that? Me neither. But the scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says he, he likens our physical bodies to a seed and how you can't look at the seed and tell what the plant and the stock and the fruit is going to be like. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as creator, has brought this into being. And the greater thing is yet to happen that is beyond this world and beyond this life when this seed takes on its new form and, and we see things that we can't even begin to comprehend right now. He is the creator. And he holds all things in his hands. The final thing that the writer of Hebrews points out in contrasting Jesus to angels is that Jesus is Lord. The base confession of a Christian, a person who knows God. But to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand? How many angels did he say that to? None. Nada. But he did to Jesus Christ. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I have good news for those of you that worry. And you watch the news and you see what's happening to our country and to our world and the degradation of our society and, and we just kind of wonder where is all of this going? The Bible tells us it's going to a footstool. It's going to a footstool. And God is working. And all the judges of the earth and the presidents and the kings will answer to Jesus Christ. And history culminates at his feet. History is the story of his glory. And you and I are in the privileged position to be heirs with Christ in the marvelous things that are being done. And Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want to turn back to Psalm 2, and if you would turn there with me, I would just like to read this marvelous passage of Scripture in conclusion, and I have one and a half minutes to do it in, so I made it. And Psalm chapter 2, and it speaks so clearly of the Lordship of Jesus. And it begins with a question. Perhaps it's the same question that you're asking tonight. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are the peoples devising a vain thing? What? Against God. Why is all of this going on? How can this be happening? Why are people making the choices that they're making? Why are the rulers of the world stampeding away from God? Why has our nation, which was founded upon God, upon the word of God, by godly men, outlawing God in every form of government? And now the IRS being punitive to 
Christian organizations and people who want to return to the roots of this nation. Why is this happening? Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising vain things? And the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's that? That's Jesus. Saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Let's get rid of God. Russia tried that. I have a son that lives in Russia, and I was taken on a tour by a Christian Russian who took me through the city of Kirov and showed me where the churches were that were converted into community centers and KGB police stations, churches. How did that work? It collapsed. Taking their stand against God, getting him out of society, Verse 4 tells us God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. I want to remind you, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not pacing the floor, ringing, oh, what are we going to do? Our plan has gone wrong. Everything's falling apart. Father, what can we do? No, it's all done. He's at rest. God laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. You wonder why Jesus turned down the devil on his offer to give him the kingdoms of the world? They were already promised to him by the Father. I don't have to deal with you. Get lost. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he, may, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's us. We take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our Savior, our Lord. We thank you, Father, for creating us. We thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we bow before you tonight, Lord Jesus, and you call, we call you Lord, God, King, Creator. All will bow before you. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And Lord, we just thank you that we can get an early start. And we worship you tonight. Thank you for who you are in all of your holiness and your glory that you have chosen to save us and to make us heirs with you in the glorious things that you are accomplishing in this age. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.